So um, sometimes celebrities say ridiculous things, um, right? Okay, Nick Jonas. You guys know Nick Jonas? Anybody? Anybody a fan? Yeah, so so hot, right? So Nick Jonas apparently believes that there's aliens. Um, one time he was interviewed and. He was like, this is probably eight years ago. I don't know how, what he sounds like, but he's like, this is probably eight years ago. I was in my backyard in LA, and I looked up at the sky, and I saw three flying saucers. And I looked at my friend, and I said, are you seeing this, or am I losing my mind? And he was seeing the same thing. Whoa. Crazy. Okay? Then you've got Jaden Smith and Willow Smith, who, in an interview, said, does anyone enjoy their, the things they say? They're great. Like, if you ever are bored, just look up interviews by them. Um, here's a conversation by them that they gave. Um, they're talking about time and how it doesn't exist. So Willow says, I mean, time for me, I can make it go slower fast, however I please, and that's how I know it doesn't exist. And then Jaden says, it's proven that how many, or it's, it's proven that how time moves for you depends on where you are in the universe. It's relative to beings and other places, but on the level of being here on Earth, if you are aware in a moment, one second can last a year, and if you are unaware your whole childhood, your whole life can pass by in six seconds, but it's also such a thing that you can get lost in. And then Willow goes, because living. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> cool, guys. Um, so sometimes celebrities, you know, they're given a big platform and they can say things and sometimes it can sound crazy, but did Jesus always sound super reasonable? Like, did Jesus always say things and everyone was just like, yeah, I'm tracking with you, Jesus, that makes sense? No, actually, there was times where Jesus said things that were super confusing and super weird and bizarre. And so I taught the section of scripture we're going to go through today. Um, I taught through the Gospel of John when you were in junior high. When I got to this chapter... I just straight up skipped it. I was like, this is just way too crazy. If I try to teach this to junior hires, their brains will explode. Um, you guys are in high school now, so we're going to go through it. And my job as pastor is to try to break down and explain this stuff so that you can walk away feeling like you understand it. And I think God's going to speak to you. And yeah, so we already prayed. We blessed it. Let's, let's go into it. Um, John chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Here's what happened. Jesus fed 5,000 people last week. We learned about that. Huge deal, huge display of his power. All these hungry people in the wilderness, Jesus gives them bread to eat. Tony talked about today how Jesus walked on water. He's trying to get away from the crowds. He sends the disciples out on the boat. He's walking on water with them. Jesus is showing his miraculous abilities all over the place. So John 6, verse 22 is where we're going to pick it up. Let's see if we can get it on the screen. Do not fail me now. <laughs> That's not a good sign. Oh, there we go. Okay, so the whole thing today is a back and forth conversation between the crowds, so that's these guys, and Jesus. If you didn't know that was Jesus, then you, you don't know anything. Except Jesus doesn't really look like that. He's not white. He doesn't have blonde hair. This is just, but that's, that's what we think of. So it's going to be a back and forth conversation. So you're going to see what the crowds say on that side and what Jesus says over here in the red. So verse 22, read with me. On the following day, so after the 
5,000 people are fed after Jesus walks on water. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples have entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw Jesus was not there or his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, that means teacher, teacher, when did you come here? They're confused. They were on the shore with Jesus. He was feeding them. The disciples got in the boat. Jesus didn't get in the boat. They show up on the other side, and they're like, how did Jesus get to the other side of the whole like, sea? How did he do it? That makes no sense. Well, he's Jesus, and he can walk on water. Now, what I love is they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? How did you get here? He doesn't even acknowledge their question. Jesus is so great. Like He just completely just dismisses what they're trying to say and just goes straight into trying to teach them awesome lessons. So he says, most assuredly, he's going to say that a lot. When you say most assuredly, he means seriously, guys, for real, seriously, for realsies. <laughs> I don't know. If Jesus was around today, I don't think he'd say for realsies. But he's like, guys, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So starting off right away, Jesus says to them, he calls them out. He says, guys, you're looking for me. You're searching high and low for me. You found me, but you're looking for me for the wrong reasons. You just want bread. You just want sandwiches. You just want me to be your eternal sandwich guy who just makes you food. Then he says, don't work hard for what doesn't last. He says, guys, you spend your entire lives just working, working your tails off, trying to earn money, trying to get food. You're looking for food from me right now, but all that stuff won't last. It's, it's like your Christmas presents. You're, you're going to open them. And then like a year later, you're going to be like, where is that? I like shoved it in a closet underneath my bed. Like, I don't care about that. I played with that toy or messed with that thing for like two seconds. Things don't last. So Jesus is saying, I'm what you're looking for. He starts right off the bat by telling them, this is kind of the theme of the whole message Jesus is about to give, but it's, I am exactly what you need and what you're looking for. Right out of the gate, he says it. He also says, I was approved by God. He says, I was sent by God. Um, he says, I'm sealed. So like you guys know, when you have an envelope and someone puts a seal on it, you're like, what? Who does that? Like, I don't even mail things. Like, what's a stamp? I don't know. Okay, back in the day, people would mail things, and they would put a seal that says they approve. Jesus is saying, God approved of me. I am his messenger. I am his son. Here's the thing. 10 out of 10 people die. I don't want to depress you, but it's true. You will be dead one day. Your body will be gone. Jesus says, don't work for what won't last. We will be forgotten, absolutely. Just so you know, like, I don't, people won't remember us. A hundred years from now, no one will know who you were. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? Unless you do something super significant, and then maybe people will kind of remember you. But for the most part, uh, we're not going to last. For me, this hit me hard last night. Because when I was in high school, I used to make these movies, and I thought I was so funny. I thought I was so clever, you know? And um, I made this one movie when I was at camp. And it was a movie when I was in ninth grade where me and my friends went off in the woods to, what, what? 
We went off into the woods to find a pine cone. Come back to me. Did my computer just crash? Is the hard drive on? Yeah, the hard drive's on. Please, Lord. Lord, you are great. I know, dude. This is Jake's computer, and he sold it to me. I just give me a second because I really want to fix this because without the stuff on the screen, it's everything's going to be super confusing. Okay, if we can't use the computer, can you guys try really hard to follow along in your Bibles? Can you try? Because I know how you guys are. I see you're sitting there. There's no Bible. So I thought of you when I made this PowerPoint, because I was like, I want to just have it all there so it's easy for them. So now it's not going to be easy. So can we track? Can we track? Can we pull out some Bibles? Pull out your Bible apps on your phones? Track with me? Yeah? Okay, cool. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Let's go for it. No computers? Who cares? Whatever. So anyway, like I was saying, I made a movie. Long story short, I thought it was great. It was a half an hour long. It was about me and my friends, King Arthur, trying to find a pine cone. So Tony was at Home Fellowship last night, and he was like, hey, I showed some friends uh, your pine cone movie. And I was like, oh my gosh, did they love it? And they're like, no, they hated it. They were like, this is stupid. And I was like, why? He's like, it was a half an hour long, and they didn't know anyone in the movie. So it's like, if you're watching some stupid movie a bunch of kids made, if you don't know them personally, you're not going to laugh at it. It's not going to be funny. The point is, I thought I was cool back in the day. I made movies. I'm forgotten. No one remembers me. So the point is, it's not going to last. Life doesn't last. Eventually, we die. Jesus comes, and he says, hey, everlasting life is what it's all about. I offer you life beyond this life. When this life ends, I offer something after it. Many people think that everlasting life shouldn't be a gift, though. Some people think they should have to earn it. Look at the next verse. And I didn't write down what the reference was because it was just going to be on the screen. But look, if you can find it, Jesus, or the crowd says to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? This is what the crowd asks him. They say, hey, Jesus, this sounds great, everlasting life. How do we get that? What works do we do? This is Jesus' response. He says, very simply, this is the work of God. They're asking, Jesus, what can we do? How can we, how can we earn life? How can we get eternal life? Jesus responds, this is the work that you do, that you believe in him who he sent. This is classic Jesus. It's absolutely classic Jesus, because they're asking him, what do we do? What's the work? How do we make it happen? And Jesus responds, believe. They're like, what? Like, we don't have to climb a mountain. We don't have to, like, get up every day at, like, five in the morning and, like, read the Bible for seven hours and, like, just not have a life and just, like, live in a church and just be super spiritual all the time. And that's all it's about. No, Jesus says the work, if you want to know how to serve God, if you want to know what the work of God to do is, believe. Now, listen, there's two ways we can read this. I think one is the wrong way. We can read it and go, oh, wow, that's so nice. You know, Jesus is basically saying, don't ever do anything for God. Don't ever serve him. Don't ever try. Just believe. And then all of your dreams will come true. Believe in yourself and believe in God. And then everything will be perfect. It's so easy. 
Here's the thing. It's important to understand the difference between the word belief and the word believe. Belief is a noun. It's something that you possess, you know? You have, like you carry it with you. Like for instance, I believe, not in Santa anymore, but I believe in my wife. I believe she's real. I carry with me this belief that she's awesome and that she's my favorite person and that she's great. I believe that she's gonna be an amazing wife. And a lot of times, actually 100% of the time, that belief is fulfilled. She's amazing. But it's like, I'm not doing anything about that. I just carry around in my heart this belief. Does that make sense? I carry it with me. Believe isn't a noun, it's a verb. It's something that you do. So for instance, if I'm going to believe that a plane can get me somewhere. I can have belief, I can carry with me belief, I can look at a plane and go, oh, that plane can fly me somewhere, that plane can get me to the destination, I have belief. But to actually believe in the plane, it's a verb, I have to step on the plane and take off and fly with it. So, in the Gospel of John, I looked it up. In some of the other Gospels, when Jesus says believe, it's a noun. In the Gospel of John, John never uses the word believe as a noun. He always uses it as a verb, which confirms Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to put your belief in me. You can't just be like, what, Jesus, you're, you're God? Okay, I believe that, and I'm going to go live my life and do whatever I want. Jesus says, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that implies footsteps. That implies you're following. That implies that you are walking after him. Jesus was never intended to be a get-out-of-hell-free card, which is the way a lot of people treat him. Just following Jesus, nothing will change my life. Like, if me being a, a, a Christian, that doesn't change anything. I just don't have to go to hell. I can do whatever I want. I can live life however I want, and nothing happens. What did we learn in camp? If Jesus is king, that changes everything. So if Jesus is someone we believe in, we actually put our faith in him, and we walk with him. So that's the answer to the question. They say, Jesus, what do we have to do? Jesus gives a very clear answer. Believe in the one God sent. That doesn't just mean going, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I'm saved now. Am I going to heaven? Sweet. Jesus says, if you want to please God, if you want to live a good life, if you want to be a follower of God, then follow me, the son. So in the next verses, let's see, pick it up in verse 30. They say to Jesus, Jesus, the crowds, they say, Jesus, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe in you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus clearly says, listen, here's what you do. Follow me. They're, they don't even catch it. Like, it just goes over their head, and this is what they say. They say, hey, um, cool, like, follow you. Yeah, but, like... Are you going to prove it? Are you going to prove that you're someone we should follow? Uh, How should you prove it? Hmm, we're hungry. You know, Moses, he gave us bread. When our ancestors were in the desert and they were hungry, Moses gave us bread. Jesus, you're the bread guy. You, You proved that you can give us bread. Give us more bread. Make us, like, be like Moses, Jesus. Give us what we need. Listen to Jesus's response. He says, most assuredly, Guys, seriously, for reals, I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did you catch that? This is really good stuff. They're saying, Jesus, give us a miracle. Be like Moses. What Jesus says is he goes, guys, Moses didn't have what you were looking for. Think about it. What did Moses give them? Moses gave them the Torah. That's the first couple books of the Bible. I think Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and I think it ends with Deuteronomy. Moses gives them all these commandments, all these ways to follow God, but it's incomplete. The Torah, if you read from Genesis to Deuteronomy, you're not going to have a complete picture of who God is and what God's plan is. And so everyone's waiting. If you read the Torah, if you read Genesis to Deuteronomy, the problem in Genesis to Deuteronomy is all about the heart. God creates Adam and Eve. They're perfect. Then they choose to do their own thing. Something very simple. They just eat that fruit, right? What happens is they die inside. Their heart becomes poisoned and corrupted. And so if you read the Torah, if you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, there's a theme that goes through the whole thing, which is the desire for a new heart. Moses says over and over, he says, we look forward to the day, the prophecy, when Yahweh, when God gives us a new heart, because we know no matter how hard we try, our heart is broken and it's evil and it's wicked, so we pray for that day. Jesus says, Moses gave you the Torah, but I give you the complete word of God. What's the first thing that we learn in the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word. Jesus says, I am what God has to say. If you've ever wondered, what is God like? Like, if, if I could sit down with God, what would he say? You don't have to wonder. Jesus is what God has to say. He is the Word of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Moses gave them the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And Jesus gives them something amazing. He talks about, look at verse 33. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Like sometimes we can just read through these things so fast and not consider what they actually are saying. What is death? What is death? Death is a foreign alien. You're like, what are you talking about? Think about it this way. Like what is an alien? It's a foreigner, someone who comes in, um, Death is an unwanted alien. Let me explain what I mean by that. In God's original creation, the world, death was nowhere in the picture. There was never, ever, ever a plan for anything to die. People were supposed to live forever. God's kingdom was going to expand and grow from the Garden of Eden. Death was never a part of the picture. God never made people. There was never an intention for them to die. And so when Adam and Eve took that first bite of the fruit, death entered the world. And death was this, like, think of it almost as like a creature, like this creature called death comes on from, from, from the darkness. Like it just, it comes on and it's like, that's not supposed to be there. And Adam and Eve immediately start dying. I mean, we can feel it. Like, I can feel that death is unwanted. Like, I can feel like it's not supposed to be there because I'm afraid of dying. I know I'm going to go to heaven, but the thought of the pain of dying and kind of that uncertainty of like, man, in between like heaven and earth, like, what does that look like? Like, it's kind of scary. Like, the unknown, as much as I have faith in Jesus, like, death is kind of freaky. Like, death is, death is not cool. So death comes into the picture. Jesus says, I've come to bring life. 
He's not just saying like, hey, I'm going to help you have a great life. I'm Jesus. I'm going to help you have the best life you can have. He's literally saying, I have come to push death out of the picture and bring eternal life where you never have to worry about dying, where you live forever. This is awesome stuff Jesus is saying. So the crowd just continues to have everything Jesus says go over their heads. They're not getting it. I hope that you're listening. I hope that you're getting it. Here's the next thing they say. They say, Lord, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I've come to give life. I'm the bread. And they say, Lord, give us this bread always. Their, their brain is still in sandwich mode. They're like, what's he talking about? Like, I'm the bread of life. Like, okay, Lord, give us bread always. Just live with us and be our bread guy and just be the guy who always has bread for us. Jesus says, let's see what verse it would be. It's going to be in verse 35. Track with me, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you don't believe in me. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So I'm just going to touch on a couple things Jesus says in those verses. One, he says, listen, guys, I am the bread of life. I'm unlike any other bread you've ever had. I'm speaking in metaphors. You're hungry. Everyone in the world hungers for something. Like, have you ever felt like life wasn't enough? Have you ever had that, like, feeling down in the pit of your soul, no matter what you're going through? Like, uh, who has ever looked forward to an experience, like a birthday or Christmas or a party or something, and you have these expectations for what it's supposed to be, and then it comes around and you feel let down? Has anyone ever experienced that? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. The reason that we have such high expectations for what life is supposed to be like, and then we're constantly being let down, is because we were made for something greater. Life on earth will never, ever measure up. Like that concert that you think is going to be so great, it's going to be great, but it's not going to be quite as great as it could be. That meal that you think is just going to be the greatest meal, it's not going to measure up. That boyfriend or that girlfriend that you think, they'll complete me and then everything will be perfect because they just are like my dream boy slash girl. I don't know. Like, yes, they will fulfill me. And then you get the boyfriend or girlfriend and it's like, oh, this is cool, but it's not everything it's cracked up to be. And sometimes it's actually hard and difficult. I was listening to my old pastor, uh, Evan Wickham, talk uh, at a worship conference and he said something that was really interesting. He was talking about, um, he was at this concert. Um, it was like a tribute to Paul McCartney. And uh, you guys know who Paul McCartney is? He's one of the Beatles, okay? And so all these bands were like performing his songs. And he's just sitting there and he's listening to them. And he's like nodding like, mm, yes, yes. Mm, mm, mm. And he's just listening to everyone play his music. And um, it's this great big moment. And he said at one point the concert got so big and rocking that everyone was standing. Everyone's hands and fists were like pumping in the air. Um, people had their phones out and they were shining their light and stuff because no one uses lighters anymore. Apparently it's all just you know, about flashing the lighter on your phone. Um, but he said, everyone's reaching. And as he was watching this concert and observing, he's like, this is a moment where everyone is just like, they're full of desire and, and it's like they're reaching for something. 
Like everyone's hands are up and they're just like, like this feeling is so great. Like we wish it could last forever. And they're reaching and they're like, we don't know what we're reaching for, but that's what we want. We want this fulfillment forever. And everyone's just, just got their hands up and they're like, yes, yes. And he said, that is a great example of the human condition. Everyone's longing for something greater. Everyone's looking for these big experiences like concerts and movies and like, oh my gosh, Star Wars Episode Seven. Like it was this experience. And I was like, I wish I could hold on to that feeling I had watching it forever. And, and, and what he said was, for those who are reaching for something greater, the great thing is for us as Christians, when we're worshiping and our hands up and we're reaching, we're the only people in the world who actually can connect with what we're reaching for, which is awesome. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it's like you, as Christians, can connect, whether you're raising your hands in worship, whether you're in your room reading your Bible and praying, whether you're serving someone or loving someone or reaching out to someone, you're connecting with what everyone in the world longs for, which is God. We're all made with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And I don't know about you, but this, I've finally in my life come to realize this, that when I connect with God, I am more fulfilled than when I watch Star Wars Episode Seven, or when I play my favorite video game, or when I eat my favorite meal. When I connect with the God who designed me and loves me and made me, it fills me with a satisfaction that can rival nothing else. Jesus is talking to them. He's like, guys, like, I am what you're looking for. If you follow me, you will never hunger. You'll never thirst. And then he goes, why don't you believe? And maybe you're here listening. Maybe you're here and you're like the crowd. Seriously, you're listening or maybe you're half listening. Uh, and, and you're like, you know, this sounds great, but I, I, don't, I don't really believe it. Jesus pleads with the people in this text. And he pleads with us, believe why don't you? Like, why don't you? I mean, maybe you say you're a Christian. Maybe you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you're not putting your trust in him. There's a big difference with having our life and holding it really close and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's what it takes to get in heaven, right? Okay, Jesus, see you in heaven, but I got my life and it's mine. There's a big difference between that and saying, I believe in Jesus so much that when he says, give me your life, I willingly hand it over to him and I say, you do what you want because you're a good king and you're a good father and I trust you. Guys, Jesus says the one in these, in these verses, Jesus says the one who believes in him will not be cast out. I love that verse because it just, it gives me such assurance when I was your age, seriously, I constantly was like, I don't know if I'm saved. Like, I don't know. Because I say I believe in Jesus, but then I mess up and I sin and I do bad things and I screw up and just, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you've doubted your salvation. Maybe there's been times where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm even going to heaven. Like, oh, I blew it this weekend. Like, I got to go to church on Sunday and repent. Or else maybe if I get hit by a truck on the way to church, I'll go to hell. And I had this messed up view. Jesus says the ones that the Father gives him, the ones who are in his hands, he will not cast out. The Bible also says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Once you're in his hand, once you have decided to put yourself in God's hands, as long as you choose to remain in those hands, even if you're messing up, even if you're blowing it, even if you're making mistakes, you're in God's hands. He doesn't call for perfection. He just calls for faith. He calls for you to place yourself in that position. 
All these people, this crowd, they're looking for the wrong kind of king. They're looking for a king during this time, if some background. The Jews at this time, they're under captivity by the Romans. The Romans have just captured them. They are oppressive. It was so bad that you'd be walking home from work as a Jew, and a Roman soldier would show up, and he'd say, hey, you, you stinking, pathetic Jew, like, take my armor, my heavy armor, my shield, and carry it, because I had a long day at work, and so you have to carry my armor for me. Like, they were abused. They were oppressed, and they were longing for a king. They wanted a king first to take care of their hunger problem, to end Jewish hunger. So Jesus is making all of this food appear. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's the guy. He can end hunger. This is, he's the king. He, he'll feed us forever. And then they wanted a king who would kill their enemies. They wanted a king who would come in with a sword. And they're looking at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, like, we'll be your followers. We'll be your army. Like, we'll take swords. We'll go kill the Romans and we'll establish you as king. It's gonna be so awesome, Jesus. They wanted a king who would make them comfortable. A king who would just take care of all their enemies, all their food problems, establish this kingdom, and they'd live in peace, and everything would be great. But Jesus says, that's not what I came for. One day, you'll be comfortable in heaven, my perfect kingdom, which is not just a fluffy cloud land, but is an amazing new world of excitement. He says, I didn't come to kill your enemies. I didn't come to fill your bellies. I came to fulfill what you're longing for in your soul. You know what we're like a lot? We're like seagulls. Seriously, this is so cool. I was um, studying this down by the beach. I just took my Bible, piece of paper, and a pen, and I was like, I'm just gonna read this, whatever you show me, God. I'm reading about all these people following Jesus for bread. And Jesus is like, stop following me for bread. That's not what I'm here for. I'm reading, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wish I had an illustration to go with that. Literally, as I'm asking the Lord, like, give me some sort of illustration. This husband and wife, super old couple, they come just like waddling down the beach and they pull out a bag full of bread. And they just start like chucking it. And literally an army of seagulls appear, just like, like, what's a crow noise? I don't know. Um, Mine? They show up and they've got just literally, like, it seemed like a thousand seagulls, and like, they're just like walking after the bread, and like picking it up, and fighting over eating it, and the couple's just walking and throwing bread, and they're following them, like they are hardcore, like the the seagulls were disciples of this old couple, they're like, we'll follow you forever, oh, bread, but then the bread ran out, and they were like, and they flew away, they weren't interested anymore, guys, a lot of times as Christians, we're just looking for the bread, Like, seriously, we follow Jesus because it's like, God, I really need a miracle in my life. Like, oh, God, I've got a really big test coming up. Please help me. I need your help. And then the test passes, and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm not going to pray anymore. I don't need Jesus. Or maybe you haven't talked to God in forever, but then a crisis comes up. Something big in your life happens. Someone gets sick. There's some difficulty, and you go to God and go, God, I really need your help now. And he gives you that bread, and and then it runs out, and then, you know, you fly away. You know, are you only following Jesus whenever it's fun? You know, is it, sometimes I think of camps and, and big concerts and conferences kind of like bread in a way, because it's, it's fulfilling our senses and the things that we like. It's not a bad thing. Bread's, bread's a good thing. It's good to eat. But when that stuff runs out, when the concert's over, when the camp ends, and it's just like, 
guess I'm going to wait until Jesus breaks out the bread bag again. That's how we can be. But Jesus calls him to follow us. And he says, hey, listen, even though there's not a big camp going on right now, even though there's not some deep, like huge, like awesome concert or really cool thing happening, I have the kind of bread for you that if you seek me, I will give it to you and it will satisfy the longing in your soul. If we're just rushing around to the next big Christian experience, we're gonna miss out on what God has for us. Listen, if you don't get anything today, I promise you, if you go home today and you say, Jesus, give me that bread that I need for my soul, and then you open up the Bible and you just pray and you spend a little bit of time, you will get, you will receive filling. Like, you will be blessed. If you go with just a humble, willing heart and go to God, he, he's gonna fill you. And so many times I miss that opportunity. So many times Brooklyn would tell you she misses it. Like we adults, pastors, like so many times God is saying to us, hey, I know you want to watch that movie. I know you want to watch that TV show. I know you want to play Super Smash Brothers, but just spend a little bit of time with me. And we miss it because we're seagulls and we just want that bread. But God has the eternal bread. Look at verse 39. The people are really confused at this point. It's about to get more confusing for them. Jesus says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should not lose anything, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He's saying, guys, listen, my Father's will is that I should not lose any of you. He wants to give you to me, and I want to receive you. I want to put you in my hand. Like, I want to be your God. I want to be your king. God looks at you kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I remember one time I was eating, and I had all this awesome chicken on my plate, and then I tripped, and like the chicken started flying off the plate, and I was like, I am unwilling that I would lose even one piece. And I managed to get the chicken. Like, it was like in the air, and I put the plate underneath, and I caught it, because the chicken was precious to me, okay? Like, that's God's heart for you. Like, God is not like, I think some people think, like, God's attitude towards you is once you start sinning, God's like, oh, you're going to be like that? All right, get out of here. Come back when you're ready to repent. Like, because maybe you have people in your life who treat you like that. When you're sinning, when you're having a hard time, they're like, all right, man. Just do whatever you want. I don't care. Like, you get your life together, and then you come back. No, God, like, if, if you start backsliding, if today you're struggling as a Christian, if today you're not really walking with God, he's like, I just, I want to get you back. I want to I bring you back. He thinks you are precious to him. The people say to Jesus, basically, they don't actually say to Jesus. They start talking to one another. They start murmuring and complaining. They're like, uh, what is he even saying? Like, isn't this the son of Joseph, whose father and mother that we know? How is it he says, I've come down from heaven? They hear Jesus say, I'm from heaven. And they're like, uh, no, you're, you're from Bethlehem. Like, what are you even talking about? Jesus says in verse 43, he says, don't complain amongst yourself. He hears them. And he's like, don't, don't do that. Stop, stop, stop. Listen to me. Verse 44, he says, no one 
can come to me unless the Father has sent me. Are the f- no, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Has anyone ever heard that uh, carrots give you good eyesight? Raise your hand if you have. It's a lie! It was created by the American military during World War II because what they wanted to do was they wanted to convince the Japanese that their pilots had super sight. So they released articles saying, yes, um, our fighter pilots have developed super sight. They can spot the Japanese from miles away. How did they develop this? Well, scientists have discovered that carrots actually gives amazing sight capabilities. It was a made-up lie by the government to trick people, and my parents bought it like hook, line, and sinker and taught me when I was a kid that if I ate carrots, I would have super sight. So that's a lie. What's not a lie is Jesus talking about the super sight that we receive when we see him. Again, if you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. Like, read the Gospels. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The people are confused. Verse 47, Jesus says, Listen, most assuredly, seriously, I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and there." dead. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) He's like, he's just being very blunt. He's like, okay, guys, listen, like, do I have to really break this down and spell it out for you? You're asking me for manna. Your fathers ate manna and they're dead. They're in the ground. Manna won't save you. I will save you. I am the bread of life. He says, I'm the bread of life so much in this passage. He just keeps saying, listen, I am what you need. I am what you need. But give us manna. I'm what you need. Give us bread. I'm what you need. Lord, do all these things Moses did. I am what you need is what Jesus says. Look at verse 50. He says, this is the bread which comes from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he lives forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which shall gi- I shall give for the world, for the life of the world. Two things really quick. One, guys, eternal life, heaven is going to be awesome. I was thinking about this the other day, and heaven is something that... It's hard for us to get on board with sometimes because it's so like unknown. It's like, what is heaven? Is it you know sitting on a cloud? Is it playing a harp? Is it just a worship service forever and ever? Which sounds terrible because like, would I get to like get up and go to the bathroom or you know is there like coffee break or like do I get to talk to my friends or am I just singing forever and ever? Like I like singing, but like after a thousand years, singing "Good Good Father" would get really old, right? Okay, so listen, heaven is going to be, like, this is something I've been getting so excited about lately. It's going to be literally a whole new world. Literally, God says, new heaven, new earth. That means new planet with new gardens and cities and waves to surf and hills to climb and human bodies without limitations. Like, why, why do we not get more excited about this? Like, Seriously, like, why? Like, it seems so far if we don't think about it. Like, we are living for literally life without limitations. Like, you can do anything. Like, you can, like, oh my gosh. Like, why? 
I'm so excited. And um, heaven, it's, we, can't, we can't describe it. Like I'm using words that only I understand. Think about this. Heaven is going to be so much better that there are not words in the English language that can properly describe it. So if you're an unborn baby, right, and you're in the womb, you know, you're just curled up, got an umbilical cord, pumping food into your belly, straight like belly-to-belly -belly transfer of food, USB cable, just amazing technology. And uh, you're in there, and I mean, all you know is the womb. That's all you know. Literally, the only things you understand are like warmth and moisture. Like that's all you get. So if I go to a newborn baby and I try to describe the closest things to heaven on earth that I know, which are Star Wars and pizza. <laughs> if I go to that baby and I'm like, hey, let me tell you about Star Wars and pizza. So like there's this circular, hot, bready substance with cheese on it, with pepperonis. And so the baby's going to be like, I do not comprehend. Like, what is that? Like, I, I only know warmth and moisture. I'm in a womb. <laughs> I do not know what cheese or crust or like, I don't get it. If I try to describe Star Wars, the baby's mind is just going to explode because it's like it has no point of reference for what that is. And then the baby is pushed out into the world and it's like, oh, and it, it experiences like things it has never experienced, things it doesn't even know. Like the baby uses its lungs in ways that it's never used it before. Did you guys know that when you're a baby in a womb, you use your lungs to breathe in water to liquid. You breathe liquid. You're, you are like basically part fish when you're a baby in a womb. And then you come out and it's like, I have this whole new use for my lungs. Oxygen, what is going on? That's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. We're going to be birthed in this new world and it's going to be like, yeah, nothing that we could have said on earth to try, to try to describe how awesome heaven is going to be can properly explain this. So I'm excited for heaven. I hope you are. Second thing is I want to talk about awkwardness really quick. Those of you guys who know me are like, yeah, you have a lot of experience being awkward. Um, so the other day, I was at Starbucks, and uh, I was texting my wife. I was in line for the um, cashier, you know, to get my stuff. And my wife texts me, I love you, which was great. So as I walk up to the cashier, she asks me, what can I get for you? I look down, I see the text, I love you, and I say out loud, I love you too, <laughs> to the cashier. She's like, uh, okay, and I'm like, what, no, it's to my wife, I'm uh, gonna go hide. Sometimes we say awkward things. Jesus says something here that the crowd finds super awkward. I don't know if you caught it, but he says, listen, I'm the bread of life and I will give you my flesh to eat. <laughs> And everyone's like, what? Ew, like, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What? what? And then Jesus says in verse 53, he says, no, seriously, for realsies, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And everyone at that point, it's just like, oh my gosh, we did not know we were following Jesus Christ, the vampire king. Like, this is just getting out of hand. This is intense. Like, what is going on? So I'm going to move this along really quickly. Then in verse 55, he says, he keeps going. Like, if that wasn't enough to be like, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's really good food. It's really good drink. 
Verse 55, he keeps going. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I will abide in him. And then in verse 57, he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 60 Then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, "Uh, Jesus, this is kind of a hard saying. Who can understand it? Verse 63, or 61, Jesus says, hey, does this offend you? Does this offend you guys, like to hear that you should eat my flesh and drink my blood? Well, that offends you. Listen up, verse 62. What then should you see if the Son of Man ascends where he was before? He's saying, so... Okay, so I'm telling you, I'm trying to explain to you what the bread of life is. I'm saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you're offended by this? What would you do if you saw me float up into heaven, is what he's saying. Like, what would you say then? What then? And everyone's just like, this guy is crazy. At this point, literally, Jesus is making himself out to a lot of people to seem completely insane. Verse 63 Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. We are wrapping this up. You guys have been doing really good. Thanks for sticking with me here. Jesus says, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. And at that point, everyone's like, yeah, we're cool. Like, we're not going to follow you anymore because you're weird. We don't want to drink your flesh or (laughs) blender. Um, We don't want to drink your blood or eat your flesh. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Listen, listen. From that time, many of his disciples left and they walked with him no more. Literally, they decided we're not going to follow Jesus anymore, and they never came back. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, do you guys also want to go away? He looks at the 12, Peter, James, John, those guys, and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Last verse, so, so good. To wrap it up, I wanna just cover two things really quick. One, I don't know if you caught it, but there's some verses in here that are kind of interesting. Jesus says this a couple times, and it kind of tripped me up when I read it. I was like, what is he talking about? Jesus says a couple things. He says, listen guys, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. Did you guys catch that? Jesus is like, no one can come to God unless God draws him. Jesus is saying, all you guys who are trying to follow me, like none of you guys can actually follow me unless God like brings you to me. So there's some people, some Christians, who are awesome and really, really great Christians and there's brilliant people who believe this. Um, there's some doctrines. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of Calvinism, but if you've been in Christianity long enough, it'll come up. Um, I used to kind of be afraid of Calvinism when I was younger, like because people talked about it like it was like this horrible thing. Um, I actually know some great people who believe it. I just personally don't, and I want to tell you why. There's some people who believe Calvinism who use 
this, these verses to kind of say, look, it's saying that only the people that God picks can follow him. So there's some people who bring that, um, they bring that teaching to such an extreme where basically they say, God looks at the world and he picks who's going to be saved. He, he's looking at you in the room and he's like, okay, you're saved, you're not. You're saved, you're not. And he, he makes the decision. And so they'll use this verse, like there it is. It's right there in the Bible. Jesus says, no one can come unless God actually drags them to Jesus first. I think it's really important that we see verses in their proper context. And so some people disagree with me. I did a lot of studying on this. I want to share with you my belief on why that's not what this means. So think about it. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them, right? That's in the Bible. We can't just ignore it, right? 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 Okay. So in John 12, Jesus says something else. He says, when I am lifted up onto the cross, I will draw all men to myself. That's in the Bible too. So what does all men mean? Everyone, right. So this verse that we read where Jesus is talking to these Jews and saying, hey, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. Is this before the cross or after? Before. It's pre-cross. So what Jesus is saying in this time is, listen, no one can reach salvation unless God draws them. It's true. It's a true statement. When Jesus died on the cross, he created a way for everyone to be able to come. It's true. No one can come to God unless the Father and the Son team up and draw them God is the one who draws. God is the one who brings people to Jesus. And then Jesus is the door that they enter to get to God. Does that make sense? Right? You tracking with me? Okay. The ultimate team up of God the Father and Jesus the Son was where? The cross. <laughs> that was the ultimate team up. And so they join together and they say, we are going to literally draw everyone to God. And I think we see this. I think that God is drawing everyone to him. Not everyone will choose to follow him. Some people will reject him, but I think that people on this planet are being drawn to God. When Brooklyn and I were in San Francisco with uh, Trevor Clark and Morgan Kerger on a missions trip, I remember we were walking around the streets. We were passing out hot cocoa. Um, we were mostly focusing on homeless people, but we saw this guy, this young, uh, kind of scruffy, straggly-haired, like kind of beardy, hipster-looking college dude. And we were like, let's, let's ask him. Let's ask him if he wants to hear about Jesus. And we were kind of like, well, he's not homeless, but hey, let's just go for it. We walked up to him, and we're like, hey, man, here's some hot chocolate. And he's like, oh, yeah, sweet, man. He, he, was, like, he, he was a really funny guy. He was, like, cussing all over the place, and it was kind of hilarious. Like, was just, he's like, he was, really, he was really friendly. It was, like, friendliness cup, coupled with, like, cussing at us. It was, he wasn't, like, angry cussing. He was just, it was, I'm, I'm sure some of you guys know people like that. So it was, it was really cool. He, he was um, being super friendly you know, dropping words all over the place. And um, so we're talking to him. We're like, hey, man, like, have you ever heard of Jesus? Like, are you interested in Jesus? Can we tell you about Jesus? And he's like, whoa. He's like, no way. Like, this is crazy. I've been reading the New Testament lately. And we're just like, what? And he's like, again, like dropping swear words all over the place while he's talking about the New Testament. And um, 
you know, so he's totally like not, not a saved guy, like doesn't know the Lord. And we're like, wait, so are you a Christian? He goes, no, but like I just, you know, was in the school library. I picked up the New Testament, started reading it. Man, the stuff Jesus says is really interesting. And we were like, yes, it is. And he's like, tell, tell me more. And so we started talking to him and he was totally like tracking with us. And he was like, oh my gosh, like this makes so many things make sense. And then he threw out some really cool stuff he was saying. And it was, we had this great conversation. And he walked away with more knowledge about Jesus and the ability that he can make that decision to follow Jesus for himself. It was a great conversation. And I just say that to show you that God is constantly drawing people. Like we looked at that guy, we had no idea. We didn't think that God had anything to do with him. God had been working on his heart. So when Jesus died on the cross, he literally stretched out his hand to the whole world and he is drawing people. This is why I think street witnessing is so important. God is drawing people to him. That's why we need to go out and spread the word. I'm gonna call Austin back up here. We're gonna close with a song. Here's the last thing I wanna say. Right now, we're gonna close with a song. I wanna give you guys a chance to respond to the Lord. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come up and do anything awkward or weird. This is just between you and God, okay? You guys were great today. We went through a huge passage with a lot of interesting things. We didn't even cover every inch of the detail of what Jesus was talking about. Hopefully, though, God spoke to you guys today. I think the biggest thing that we see is at the end, all these people leave, right? Because they hear Jesus say some hard things, and they go, I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus, and they take off because they were just being like seagulls looking for that bread. Then Jesus goes to his true disciples and he says, hey, are you guys going to leave too? And they say, no, you have the words of life. If you're here today and you feel like you haven't really treated God's word like the word of life, you know, like maybe you've listened to Bible studies that we've taught you here in the sanctuary and you kind of go, yeah, those are great suggestions, I see the Bible says that I should treat girls respectfully and stuff, but uh, that's just a suggestion. I'm just going to go on objectifying them. Or maybe you see in the scriptures that it says, obey your parents, and you go, oh, you know, that's, that's a nice idea, but I'm just going to go on being rebellious. You know, you, you read, and you see Jesus say, hey, it's about giving up your own life and living for God. And you go, that's a nice suggestion, but I don't want to live for God. I want to live for myself. Guys, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. So if you're here today, and if there's any part of what Jesus has told you over the years that you just have decided, I don't want to do that, make a commitment as we sing this song to follow Jesus, to not just be a fan, but to say, God, I'm going to give you my whole heart. If there's any part of you today that feels like you haven't looked at Jesus and said, your words are the words of life. If you're king, that changes everything. Just as we sing this song, give it to the Lord turn it over to him. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much that we can come here and worship you. We can look at your word. We can praise you. We're so thankful for who you are. God, help us, Lord, to follow you with our whole hearts. God, we're not perfect. We mess up all the time. Thank you, God, that you're patient with us. I pray for these students today that they would just turn their hearts towards you today and make a decision to follow you. Yes, they're Christians. Yes, they're saved. But God, so many times we have saved souls and wasted lives because we're not really following. For each of these students, Lord, I hope, I, I hope, Lord, today that you will show them how they can follow you today. In your name, amen.